Activia offers a range of yogurts which are a delicious way to look after your gut health. From the fruit range with carefully selected ingredients to no added sugar and 0% fat offering, as well as a cereals range, there's an Activia for everyone. Made with a unique blend of five ferments creating an irresistibly creamy texture, each pot of Activia is a source of calcium, making it the perfect addition to your daily routine. Activia helps support a healthy gut. Your gut is where it all begins. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello, welcome to Real Health. Me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, this week's show is all about the menopause. It directly affects half the population, but the menopause has remained a stubbornly taboo topic. Now, the shred of secrecy has finally started to lift. British TV presenter Davina McCall has made a documentary on the topic and shared her own HRT journey. And here in Ireland, Jodafi's live line was kept going for over a week with listeners sharing their menopause story. Today, I'm joined by the amazing Dr. Deirdre Lundy, a specialist in women's health. Dr. Lundy, welcome to Real Health. How are you? Thank you, Carl. I'm actually excited to do this because, um, believe it or not, I don't do a lot of media. So this is a big deal for me. Well, you've become super famous over the course of the last uh, 10 days or so. You've been talking to Joe, quite literally, as have lots of women are in Ireland. It's a fascinating topic. And I'm going to put my hand up here. It's a topic I know very little about. And I would imagine, as do lots of our listeners, so we're dying to get the information, what we need to know, what's important. And you are very much the expert, the, the national expert in this topic now, which is brilliant. I don't feel like an expert. I really don't. <laughs> but when I look around and I see how much other expertise is out there, I'm thinking, yeah, I probably am. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get straight into it. So what okay. is the menopause? That's the obvious place to begin this conversation. Let's go well, there first. The word menopause, I often say this in lectures, the word menopause is a little misleading because it's a Greek word that means the end of menstruation. So the last day of the last period that a lady will ever have, a person with a womb will ever have, is the menopause. Um, but that's like a kind of a science medical term. Um Women in the community and other people, you know, general people just talk about menopause as the phase in a woman's life when she's transitioning from having full fertility and full female hormone levels in her blood to having no fertility and eventually no female hormone levels in her blood. And that's weird because that doesn't happen to men. They maintain their fertility, not maybe as powerfully, but up to a point to death, and they maintain their male hormone presence until death so for us to go through this kind of like a natural castration is a real big deal and do we know or you know is there a specific time period in a woman's life when the menopause starts well again like if you're talking about the true menopause which is the last day of your last period in ireland england and most of europe the average is like 52 50 50 to 52 um the problem is the beginning of that episode that the beginning of the hormonal imbalance, the hormonal changes that are going to happen can actually start long before that. So an awful lot of women are in their early 40s, mid 40s, getting pretty regular monthly bleeds, still having to watch themselves with regard to getting pregnant or not pregnant or whatever, and then start to get symptoms that they literally don't know what the hell is going on. Because somehow, somewhere, People got it in their head that you couldn't get menopause-related symptoms until you had your final period, 
But that's not true. Um, it could be seven years. It could be 10 years still getting periods and getting menopause-type symptoms. Uh, and that's, the, that's probably the biggest problem because you may go to a doctor or nurse and say, I feel rotten. I'm having ABCD. And there's a lot of people who say to you, well, it can't be menopause because you're still bleeding. You know, and that's not true. Okay, so what are the symptoms? And you mentioned one or two of them there. Yeah. And, and I was listening to Live Line during the week, and there was women in their late 30s, early 40s, and ring, just calling in with incredible stories of what yeah. they were going through. So tell us Heart, a bit more about that. Heartbreaking stuff. So a lot of things can happen to people. Now, they don't happen to everybody, but they would certainly happen to most women. And how severe they are and how much of an impact that they have on your life will be very pretty variable. Like, so um, some people are really blessed and they, they get their hormonal, you know, imbalance and they move through their menopausal change. We call that the perimenopause. That's when you're still kind of fertile and bleeding, but you're definitely your hormones are wrong. Okay. And then, um, but other women, and they'll be all right. They won't be on top form, but they'll cope and they'll be fine. But those are not the women that typically find doctors like me. Uh, they're the large percentage of the population who will struggle, who will be on their knees for five years, seven years or longer. Um, and they may, when they seek help, be told, well, I don't know what's wrong with you because I did blood tests and all your blood tests are fine. Um, even though we know categorically blood tests do not help diagnose the symptoms of the change. You know, anyway, so there's a lot of misconceptions out there about when it starts to happen, how you kind of identify it and diagnose it, like from a doctor point of view, and then tons and tons of angst over how you manage it and treat it. The commonest physical symptoms would be things like this weird core temperature imbalance where tiny fluctuations in your core temperature make your superficial, your, your skin temperature go nuts. So about 10 or 20 times a day, you get a profound um, suffusion of heat and sweat, like as if you just ran five miles out of nowhere. And it blows up over the course of 30 seconds, usually starts around your kneecaps and starts to rise up through your core. And you're like, what the hell is wrong with me? People think they're having heart attacks, you know? And um, when they happen at night, can you imagine the sleep you'll get? That happening 10 times a night. People were ringing in saying the sheets were drowned. He was drowned. <laughs> three, three pajamas later, I got back in the bed. Like, it's just hell. It's just absolute hell for a lot of people. Not everybody, but for a lot of people. That, so that's probably the, one of the commoner physical ones. People would often mention, oh, my joints are killing me. Like, I was never this creaky and achy before. What the heck? Um, other physical things that people describe would be collagen related. Well, the joints is kind of collagen too, but things like um, skin, hair, nail quality de decline, you know, um, other physical stuff. I suppose the vagina and the pelvic floor are big uh, victims of the menopause in that as you lose estrogen levels, first they're fluctuant, then they're depleted. When they start to change like that, the, um, the, the quality of the tissues in the pelvic floor, the vulva, the, the vagina go down. So you get this vaginal kind of um, vulnerability where people are getting painful sex, painful exercise, um, pelvic floor drops so that you might've had a little bit of leakage when you did a trampoline or something. Now you can't even yell at the dog without wetting your own <laughs> wear, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, Emotional ones are the worst ones, I got to be honest with you, because most people would understand, they'd, they'd know a flush or a sweat. 
you either have tuberculosis or you're in the menopause and chances are you're in the menopause, you know, but um, the emotional ones are trickier because emotional symptoms can come from other problems. So people who are depressed, anxiety, like panic attacks out of nowhere, having never had one in your life before, um, rage, that PMS kind of premenstrual irrational anger at the kids, at your partner, at work, brain fog, like cognitive decline. So, and it's not just, oh, what's your name or where's my phone, which is a game we like to play in our house. Um, but things like, I can't do my job anymore. You know, that's serious stuff. So, and a lot of people will go to a doctor and say, I'm just not myself. I'm not performing at work. I don't sleep well. I'm miserable. I'm mad all the time. I'm irritable. And they'll be given anxiety medicine will be given depression medicine, which you know, it actually might help because the whole damn thing is depressing, but that's not what it's the, that's not what the core of the issue is. The core of the issue is hormone fluctuates and hormones are the appropriate way to control the problem. And can I ask you about weight gain mm-hmm. and menopause and, and in terms of muscle and fat imbalances and changing in the, yeah. in, in the in distribution of muscle and fat in the body, does it impact weight for one fluid retention fat yeah. mass increases yeah. presumably it does but I, I'm it can intrigued. do so so there is a natural kind of tendency towards um a, cha- a shift in adiposity so women typically because of our profound estrogen levels when we put on weight it's gluterofemoral so button button belly and thighs, you know, but as you go into the menopause and your estrogen levels initially fluctuate and then decline, you get more of a central adiposity. So people are putting down spare tires that they maybe never had before. And studies have shown that it's not uncommon for women between age 45 and age 55, when a lot of this transition takes place to put on two stone, if they eat exactly the same as they've always done and they exercise exactly the same as they've always done, there's something about the the change and then the loss in estrogen that actually wrecks your metabolism. And sadly, it's one of the few things that when we correct the hormones, it doesn't usually bounce back. So weight gain is associated with menopause, but weight gain is not always corrected when you medicate menopause. You do have to change. I think you just, if you're prone to putting on weight like I am, um, I've had to change. Like I just seen stones and stones and stones accumulate. And now I can safely say I would eat about 50% of the volume of food. Like I always ate healthy, but I ate big. So now I'm like, I can't do that anymore. You know? What, and I'm asking this question from a client because she will no doubt be listening in, but when okay. I was chatting this conversation was going to happen. And that was one of the one of the, the questions I had to ask was around that kind of weight gain because she has gone through exactly that food, the same movement, the same. She's lost done really, really well, lost uh, a significant amount of weight. And that weight has randomly just gone the opposite way without any explanation whatsoever. And it's driving myself and herself absolutely crack nuts. So it's great to get an answer. It's so frustrating. I have had some success. So most people, like unless you're an elite athlete, uh, most people just want to sleep at night. And if they can modify their diet and keep their weight from going crazy, they're contented. But I have a couple of people who are either, either in competitive sports or whatever. And um, it's an interesting kind of physiology. The ovary, the female ovary makes three different types of estrogen, one type of progesterone, and then four different types of androgen, four male hormones. And they all become fluctuant and then decline during the menopause. And for some women, getting back their 
physique the way they would have liked it to be, you sometimes have to play with all three hormones. So you have to go gentle and, and light on the progesterone because it can cause fluid retention. You have to use the a sufficient amount of estrogen to make sure that they can sleep and exercise. But I often think that it's the replacing the testosterone that actually is the game changer when it comes to hormones, because that's what gives you your ability to kind of cut and define. And, and we're, we're all, all women are supposed to have androgens in them. It's just, they're different from yours, obviously, but um, you miss them when they go. And I tell you who misses them the most is the young girls. So I have a cohort of of young women, teenagers, some of them whose ovaries have decided to pack it in way before their normal time. So these are people in their late teens, early 20s who are getting weird symptoms. And then when we actually do, for them, we do do blood tests and sure enough, their estrogen is in their shoes. Like it's just crazy. So we don't just leave it there. We do, we explore a little bit more to find out, could there be something sinister going on? But when we identify just a spontaneous loss of ovary hormone under the age of 40, we call that premature ovarian failure, okay? And when we replace hormones for those ladies, we always give them testosterone because I think the younger you are when your testosterone levels let you down, the more you miss them. Okay, we'll get into HRT in a second. I want to ask you one further question around bloods and kind of you know, if you go to your GP as a, as a, as a female and say, look, I think I'm hitting the menopause or pre-menopause, bloods are something that most GPs will do and they look for estrogen levels and, and, and hormone levels. And you're saying that that isn't necessarily the way to go. That's our dynamic, isn't it? You come in and you say, oh, I don't feel good. Oh, let's do, let's do a hemoglobin. Let's do thyroid hormone. Let's, you know, see reactive protein. Let's see what's going on inside there. Um, di- the, diagnosing the perimenopause is entirely clinical. Like I said, a bit facetiously, but it's the God's honest truth. You know, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's menopause. That's, it doesn't, you don't need a blood test. And the problem is the, the physiology, the pathophysiology of the beginning of the change is not hormone loss, it's hormone fluctuates. So they've done shut studies where women had serology done where the blood levels, the serum levels of estradiol, progesterone, and all the different androgens were done every hour over the course of like several days or whatever. And the numbers were jumping. Sometimes they'd be in the normal range. Sometimes they'd be very, very low. Sometimes they'd look even high. So blood tests have no place in the diagnosis of menopause for most women. And those would be like women in their middle to late forties or beyond, you know, so someone comes in in the right age zone and have menopause symptoms. It's menopause. It is. There's no question about it. You know, young girls, I like to do the bloods because you pick up some weird stuff sometimes, you know, so like pituitary tumors and, and mad things like that. But for women in the 40 plus, 45 plus age group, blood tests have no place. And I've heard women, they, they rang into that show to say, I went in with all the symptoms in the book and then my GP did bloods and he said, well, they're normal. So I don't know, it's not menopause and either gave no treatment or gave antidepressants or something. And like all of the guidance, all the European menopause, the British menopause, uh, National Institute of, you know, the, you know, NICE, the National Institute of Clinical and Healthcare Excellence says blood tests do not diagnose normal menopause. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. Folks, you're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Lay Healthcare. We're chatting all things menopause with Dr. Deirdre Lundy. Now, naturally, uh, we're going to go to HRT. Chat to me about that. Uh, it, it's hmm. had a bad rap, I think, in, 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 in years gone by. 
good, bad, effective, ineffective? What's your take on it? Well, it's a long story, HRT. Like menopause and suffering in the menopause is not news, right? So for generations, doctors have been aware of the fact that as women age, their ovarian function starts to decline and then fall off a cliff, basically, and that a lot of women will get relief if you replace the estrogen, okay? So the original HRT products, which were devised, I want to say in the 60s, but I actually don't know that for sure. I haven't researched it that much. They were all um, extracts that were collected from the urine of pregnant horses. So equine estrogen is one of the most powerful estrogens a person can get their hands on. It's usually in a tablet form. And the, the product that's been the lead market leader in the United States for the last 50 years is called Premarin, pregnant mare's urine. That's where that word comes from. And I am telling you, if you got bad menopause and you take a Premarin tablet, you're going to feel a hell of a lot better. But there was some concerns with it. First of all, it's an equine hormone. So, you know, suitable for menopausal (laughs) horses. Um, And the other thing is it's really powerful. So very potent, very kind of pharmacologically rough, brilliant at getting rid of most symptoms, but it can have adverse effects. And one of them we know is blood clots. So you know how girls that go on the pill have a tiny, 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 tiny increased risk of blood clots. So if they're very heavy smokers or very overweight, we don't give them the pill. With HRT, we generally don't segregate by weight and blood pressure, you know, things like that. We give everybody HRT. But the problem was some of the ladies who were going on those horse hormone tablets were getting blood clots. So the National Institute of um, Health in America, NIH, back in the late 90s, decided to enroll women in a study to see, we know estrogen makes you feel better in the menopause. We've observed, coincidentally, that women who remained on estrogen seemed to be healthier as they got older. Let's see if we can put some numbers on this. So the WHI is the Women's Health Study, Women's Health Initiative, enrolled 16,500 women in America, all across a bunch of states. And all these women agreed to go on horse HRT, the tablet, for, I don't know, I mean, initially the enrollment was five years, but some of some of the arms of that study are still happening now, 20 years later. So, and they wanted to see their outcome, their like focus for that study was not, does HRT make you feel better? They wanted to see whether or not it would protect you against heart attacks, protect you against fractures and complications of fractures, um, prevent strokes, blood, you know, that kind of a thing. When they started to recruit people, um, People in the know who are watching the study got a bit confused because they wouldn't take anybody under 50. And we were like, you know, dude, lots of people under 50 get symptoms. And they were like, oh, no, we don't want anybody with symptoms. We want well old women to see if we can give them longevity and reduce morbidity by putting them on HRT. So the average age of the woman in the study was over 60, was 63. Women who'd had little heart attacks and strokes were included in the study. Women who had symptoms like flushes, sweats, mood, whatever, were excluded. And then the only product they used, because they had others available at the time, was that strong horse urine um, estrogen. Women who have a womb, who use estrogen in large amounts day after day after day, have to take progestogen. It's It's a mandatory thing because estrogen can cause womb lining abnormalities. So they gave them this other progestogen, which we know now to be one of the most toxically strong ones you can get your hand on. 
And then they watched them. And after five years, they found that the number of women being identified with breast cancer had slightly increased. So instead of 24, 23, 24 in a thousand, the diagnosis rate was going 27, 28 in a thousand, which is exactly the same rise you see in women who like a glass of wine every night. And it's about half of the rise you see in people who are overweight, whose BMI is over 30. But they made such a drama out of it. They said, we better halt this study because we've seen a dramatic rise in breast cancer among the women in the estrogen progestogen arm of the trial. And some of the authors of the trial were saying, what do you mean dramatic rise? It's the same as taking a glass of wine. It's, it's fractional compared to being overweight, BMI over 30. Um, and of course, that editorial that they released in the Journal of the American Medical Association back in 2002, it got picked up everywhere. Everywhere in the English-speaking world, you'd see headlines, HRT causes breast cancer. That was that. Like People were coming in with symptoms that were ruining their lives, and I couldn't give them treatment because they were too afraid to take it. Now, nobody in the know, none of us working back in the day in women's health were impressed enough by that study to not prescribe. I continue, I've always prescribed. I mean, you had to have a long conversation about the data, what relative risk increases, you know, compared to absolute risk. And it made our job harder, no question about it. But nobody with knowledge of the menopause ever said, you shouldn't take hormones. Do you know what I mean? What we started to do is we started to, well, we had already moved away from the horse's urine because A, it's gross for horses, but B, it's also a kind of a powerful drug. So we were starting to look at what they now call the body identicals, which are forms of hormone therapy whose molecules are as close to, if not exactly the same, as the products that a natural ovary produces. So almost everybody who goes to a knowledgeable menopause doctor in Ireland or England, they don't go on horse products anymore. And although they wouldn't have the same huge numbers in studies like they did back 20 years ago, the data for these modern products with these gentle single molecule estrogens, bioidentical estrogens are much better, much better. We still use the WHI numbers because they're actually not that scary. You know, so instead of 23 in a thousand, your risk of breast cancer, if you choose to stay on hormones for more than five years, goes to 27 in a thousand but it's already 46 in a thousand if your BMI is over 30. And you know, a fun thing is they're not cumulative. So you don't take a chubby person like me who's on HRT. Well, I don't drink, but say I drank, you know, you don't just add them all up and go more, more, more. No, you pick your worst thing. That's your thing, you know? So um, I don't know. I think a lot of it was fear driven amongst GPs and nurses as well as patients. Um, and then, I don't know, I think the pharmaceutical companies kind of let people down a little bit in that sometimes when a pharma company um, has a product, a good product, they fund knowledgeable people to give educational events, you know, teaching sessions for GPs or nurses or gynecologists or whatever it may be. And I remember the funding probably because they weren't making any money back then, the funding for training in menopause disappeared. You know, so we weren't even able to educate each other uh, about the uh, the pros and cons and how for most people, the benefits are far outweigh the risks. For some people, it's a life changing um, medication and that and that like certainly for people under 40, I would argue that it's 
medically legal, medical legally indefensible not to encourage somebody. Sorry, my computer sings the time. I apologize. Um, <laughs> every hour. Like if you need somebody who's twenty five. How does your computer? How does your, hold, hold on. If I, I don't to know. For a second. How does your computer sing? I think song? it's a dementia aid that my kids have installed. <laughs> I'm not sure, but this computer voice when the hour goes, it sings. You know. Uh, that, that is a real health podcast first. We may, we may have it. to go back over that a little You've bit. Heard, no, we'll have Gav, leave that in. It's brilliant. <laughs> so come here, tell me, let's go into, because um, I'm intrigued by it, obviously, uh, lifestyle uh, in yeah. terms of uh, management or alleviation of some of the symptoms. So in terms of in terms of food, in terms of alcohol, alcohol consumption, yeah. and in terms of movement as well, what kind of impact do lifestyle modifications yeah. have on the, the symptoms? Up to a point, I mean, up to a point, it's not, like I, I have yet to meet a woman with profound symptoms who could control those symptoms with lifestyle modifications. Okay. If you have a touch of the menopause, if you're not on game, if your form isn't what it should be, if you're gaining a little bit of weight, you can eat clean, you can exercise efficiently, you know, not crazy stuff, drop the cigarettes, obviously cut back on the, on the alcohol. If you humanly can um, increase your activity, if you're inactive, which a lot of people are, and that will make you generally fitter to cope, but it's not going to get rid of your symptoms. If you've like, if you had a thyroid disorder and I told you go home and eat clean, you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't want to be a doctor for very long. Do you know, it, do, it doesn't make any sense. Um, what tends to happen though, is for a long time before people come and seek like, like good quality healthcare, people who are in the know, they will have started to try to self-medicate with booze, with carbs, with you know, so like if you can't sleep at night and your form is generally very poor, well, of course, you're not going to be exercising and eating healthy and you're going to be looking after, you know, kind of being kind to yourself. But sometimes it's the reverse. So like when we see a menopausal woman and she's you woman, she's usually in her 40s or early 50s. It's a really good opportunity to do one of those kind of MOTs. Um, not too exhaustive, but we'd look at the family history and we'd look at her lifestyle issues like smoke and drink and exercise, weight, things like that. We sometimes do screening bloods like, you know, life's big seven, they call them. So the cholesterol, you know, the thyroid, the glucose, things that are modifiable, things that you can improve upon so that whatever good health you're enjoying now at 40 or 50, that you can keep hold of it when you go into your 60s, 70s and beyond, you know. And is there any, any correlation between general health? So say if you're listening to the show today, you're in your thirties, mm -hmm. you're nowhere near menopausal, you know that you're not, you feel great, you know, you, you're healthy, you eat really well. Is there a correlation between say those who have a higher BMI or a lower BMI in terms of predicting the impact of the menopause? No, no. I have seen some associations, funny enough. So women who have an unhealthy al alcohol relationship tend to get um, menopause symptoms younger that I've read, uh, people who are overweight tend to get way more frequent and more profound flushes and sweats. So there's a way to maybe, you won't get rid of flushes and sweats, that vasomotor kind of drama, but you might be able to reduce the intensity and reduce the episodes um, by keeping your weight as close to, you know, I'm not a big, huge fan of the BMI, but you know nor, what I mean. Keep your, nor am I, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you know you're what's in, right. You're in a safe space, yeah. Yeah, you know what's right for you. Like, and when you know you're off form and you're starting to go up instead of, instead of staying steady, um, that actually, like, I know I have a lot 
lot of women who are quite overweight who still get pretty bad flushes and sweats deep into their 60s. And apparently that's a well-recognized phenomenon of overweight women, that the vasomotor symptoms tend to last longer. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the next question I think is really interesting. Uh, in terms of for people listening and partners listening in or friends listening in of someone who is going through the menopause, from a supportive perspective, is there anything that you should do or potentially should be trying to do or anything that you can do to help? I think being patient, that's easier said than done because I'm not a patient person myself <laughs> as a rule. When people are sick, like God help anyone in this house get sick. I'm like, oh, for God's sake, like work is following me home. You know, I'm not patient. But, you know, like when you're pregnant, if a woman is pregnant, it's not uncommon for a sort of a male partner to be and a female partner to be kind of understanding and and uh, because you might get a little ratty, you might get a little tearful, you may just be off and you're like, oh, well, you're pregnant. It's your hormones. Well, the exact same true thing could be said of the menopause. Like some of the things you do and think and feel, it's not in your control because no more than in the pregnancy, in the menopause, hormones are playing games with you. This is not your, you didn't choose this, you know? Um, that's, I mean, that's a little bit facetious. Like people do really break relationships can be damaged during severe menopausal uh, pathology because chronically sleep deprived. I mean, that will, that will wreck your head and you will not be you after six months or a year without four hours consecutive sleep. Like you just won't be, you know? Um, so it's certainly being understanding is very helpful that this is not, it is not something that they're choosing, that this is a phenomenon that goes on in a woman's body that in, up to a point does not go on in a man's body, okay? Um, and unlike pregnancy, which we tend to know a lot about and we get a lot of support and there's books everywhere, there didn't used to be too much support or books about menopause. Now, obviously, they're everywhere. But um, <laughs> other things are, I think are useful for family members to be aware of is that there is still a lot of fear about going to a doctor because first of all, you don't know how you're going to be received. Like Twitter is bumming with people saying, oh, I've done menopause for years. Why are people looking for menopause experts when they could have just come to me? Well, your patient doesn't always know that. And when you listen to the Joe Duffy and you heard some of those horrible stories of things that were said to women, inaccurate, cruel, cruel things. It's no wonder that not every woman goes in with a happy heart to talk to her family doctor, expecting to get expertise, expecting to get, you know, suitable prescriptions or whatever is available to her. So there's a lot of anxiety around even asking for help about the menopause. And I think it's fair to say that the educational component is really important. So if anyone is listening in, send this episode, and it's not for listens, it's not for rating, there's nothing to do with that. But in terms of the, the way this conversation flows on the show, and we work really hard to try and create that. It's a very educational, safe, relaxed space full of content. So, you know, send this episode on to someone who you know who may be going through it, or a partner, or a friend. And that, that educational component is probably the best thing that you can do to help that person out, both from your own perspective Absolutely. and from their perspective. My in, my um, next kind of thing that's in the back of my mind is how do you reach women who don't have the internet? How do you find Irish women who don't know what their, you know, Wi-Fi password is or who are living in a place where you can barely, like my brother's house in North Cork, where, you know, you could be on Mars for all the Wi-Fi you can get down there. 
Like it would be nice if there was something in the back of the Irish Catholic or some other, or, oh, I know, Irish Country Women's Association magazine or GAA, I don't know what, but something where everybody can get access to high quality information on the menopause because unless you're media competent, a Wi-Fi competent, you may miss the boat. There's also a lot of exploitation. I mean, you probably come across that yourself, people trying to sell you stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, I have nothing to sell. So, <laughs> which is where you know. hopefully your life is going to change after the last two weeks of being the, the national voice for for menopause. Well, people and, have been saying, write a book. There should be an Irish book uh, from a doctor's perspective, saying, you know, this is true. This is dodge. This is okay. This is not okay. The problem is the information evolves. So with something like print media, by the time I get my act together and put something down on paper, it'd be a little out of date. So I really love doing online stuff. But the problem is, like I say, if you don't have access to the internet, computers, you or your phone, you may not be able to keep that up-to-date information going. But yeah, it would be nice to have just a little handbook, maybe a self-printy thing that people could... um. You know, well, we, well, we have lots of uh, publishers who listen into our show no. every single week, trust me. So I have no doubt that one of those publishers will be knocking on your door uh, in the next week or two oh yeah, my God. after listening into today's episode. So fingers crossed they do. If people want to find you, I know that you're new to Instagram. Give us your new Instagram handle so people it, can find it's you It's just my name. It's just Dr. D.R. Deirdre Lundy. And I was telling you before, it's like, I, I don't do Instagram. My kids are on it. So I use it so I can see what they're up to. So I have like four pictures of dogs on it. And then after we did Joe Duffy and Sally Ann and Catherine and all the girls were, were um, promoting Joe Duffy. Um, well, it was there. It was Sally Ann Brady that started the whole thing. Um, my phone started going and ping, 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 ping. And I was like, what the hell? So Nora, my youngest daughter, she um, opened up this new work thing. But I haven't really populated it yet. I'll give her some stuff to put up there soon. But um, I would like to see, here's where I would like to, to sell things. I would like there to be a hospital-based menopause service where the hospital put reliable information either on the website or printed leaflets. You know, you get a, a leaflet. like Some of them are very simplistic. Like in the miscarriage services in Hollis Street, you get this little pretty purple and white book, So Sad, Sorry for Your Trouble, and then tells you what to expect and all of that. Why don't we just have that um but it you know it has to come from a hse kind of or a i don't know well, well we have of lots health. of listeners from the hse and the department yeah. of health and healthy Ireland who all listen to the <laughs> podcast because i'm good friends with lots of them and i know that they certainly do so fingers crossed they're going to get in touch it has been fascinating listening to you i was going to say talking to you but listening is far more apt because when we when we get experts on the show who are incredibly passionate about their topic but they're genuine experts they can talk and I sit back and listen and they're the most fascinating interviews that I ever get to do. So thank you so much for joining us on the show today. And hopefully people will reach out to you on your new Instagram account and get working on that account and get loads of information up there for people. I will. I will. I put all the information up there. Dr. Deirdre Lonely, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of Real Health. Folks, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you know where we are at Carl Henry PT on Twitter and on Instagram, realhealthandindependent.ie. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to rate and review. Every single review and rating means a huge amount on Apple iTunes, so please do so. As ever, we'll see you next week for more Real Help. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.